0: Sports professor Riccardo, and we're keeping score. College basketball business, and what better way to keep score than March Madness? The tournament itself, as well as the television contracts with CBS Turner and the like, will generate about a billion a year to the NCAA at $817 million of it annually is media, and we'll get into some of that in a few minutes. But the bottom line is the tournament has become an economic juggernaut. The economic impact of March Madness gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and they're talking about about $142 million in spending and about 94,000 non-resident visitors to the Twin Cities. And by the way, in case you didn't know, it's still pretty cold up there, but that's one of the reasons why there's an active competition among many cities with dome stadiums for new games in the future. And Final Fours, Mercedes-Benz Stadium next year, Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis after, uh, uh, after that, New Orleans' Mercedes-Benz Stadium, Energy in Houston, and then Phoenix. All big facilities and all communities that have large tourist bases that can generate impact or at least large support organizations that understand what it takes to bid for games. But when you think about it, the biggest issue continues to be the economics the content the streaming what was done as an experiment a few years ago streaming has become the economic juggernaut with all of the commercial time for all of the networks basically sold out well in advance to give us somewhat of an objective perspective ISM Connect has been a company that was formed in July 2017 and they st- uh, do smart screen installations high definition LCD real time audience analysis for multipurpose sports and entertainment venues, the naming of the facility, the Raceway in Phoenix, ISM Connect, and a deal with Minor League Baseball, which will start this season, putting together screens and technology for 30 stadiums this year, another 10 next year. So the bottom line is they certainly are in the business with a splash. Jeff Josephson, the chief content guy from ISM Connect, talks about all of the issues relative to new media, old media with messages certainly applicable to march madness sports professor Ricaro beyond the boardroom inside every major sporting event as well beyond the box score beyond the scoreboard you talk about it trillion dollar business of sports legal marketing deal making and there's a company that's really burst onto the scene from a content stadium signage scoreboard perspective security whole lot of stuff and the founding and evolution of the company goes way beyond the naming of the facility ism raceway in phoenix but the guy to talk about it jeff josephson managing director of ism connect how are you i'm well how are you rick thanks for having me absolutely well uh, you know there are a lot of issues today in the content space but To the extent it's possible, because you are so diverse, give us the elevator speech about ISM Connect.
1: Sure. Uh, ISM Connect is a digital media company that provides smart digital signage for live venues. Uh, And a live venue could be anything from a NASCAR track to a minor league baseball stadium, uh, conference or trade show, uh, to smart retail. Um, So it's really any place where people are coming, spending time, uh, hopefully spending money, uh, where we can use digital engagement to provide the highest return for brands uh, and the venues and provide a really rich data set that comes with that. And I think that's really our our, our differentiating factor is that everything that we do is data-driven, uh, whether it's on the marketing side uh, to engage fans on behalf of a brand uh, or on the access control and security side where we're able to provide key points of data uh, to assist venues with providing a safe and effective environment uh, for their fans and their VIPs.
0: A lot of this, Jeff, is to really find the niche in the consumer and business world where Media and data is moving almost faster than companies' ability to evolve and solve it. You guys, as I've seen, are tremendously nimble and flexible. But talk a little bit about how you know long you've been in existence and how you've gotten started and what your growth pattern is.
1: Sure. Uh, so ISM Connect, as an entity, is uh, going on two years old. Uh, we're really proud of how far we've come in two years because um, a lot of people would say, "Wow, you know, two-year-old company." Uh, but the pieces that came together to form uh, ISM were each about seven years old, uh, and we took you know a couple of different uh, core competencies of three different companies and put them together to really build something that we don't see uh, much you know direct competition out there yet, um, and that's really exciting to be in a space like that. So you know a, a big part of what we're doing is providing something new. Uh, comes with its challenges, of course. Um, But, you know, being data-driven and providing data back to brands and venues in a way that they can quickly uh, take it in and figure out how to use it uh, is just something that we've uh, found a real core competency in. Let's put some details on the
0: generalities. Uh, ISM Raceway uh, had its formal renovation debut in Phoenix last November, rave reviews about the facility itself and the technology, but tell us, Tell us kind of why the company named the facility and what's so special about the benefits that you deal with as far
1: as NASCAR is concerned. Sure. Uh, so the ISM Raceway project was a unique opportunity for us. Um, you know we're always looking to partner with the people that are looking to learn from the past but build for the future. And that's exactly what they did at ISM Raceway. They said, all right, we have a track with a rich with with a rich history. Uh, A facility that needs you know pretty good uplift Um, and let's design it from the fan backwards Um, and what they built is a best-in-class facility Uh, it's for sure the best facility on the NASCAR circuit at this point Um, you know I spent the weekend there this past weekend Uh, one of the greatest parts of the facility is that you really can experience all different types of um, interactions on foot without having to walk, you know, a hundred miles all over the place. Um, the, you know, the putting in the new fan tunnel that goes under the grandstands really shortens uh, the walks. They've condensed all of the activation areas into a manageable size space. Uh, they've provided five or six different kinds of viewing opportunities for the modern fan. Because um, one of the things that we've learned is that, you, you know, whether it's NASCAR or any other sport, Uh, Sitting in a grandstand seat is not for everyone Uh, and certainly this younger generation wants more of an opportunity to move around, uh, to be social and to turn the event into a social engagement um, and to be able to share that with the outside world and ISM Raceway provided that opportunity for us to uh, be involved in the technology conversations and the engagement conversations um, and a way to demonstrate uh, the advantages of our technology when properly deployed in a way that fans want to experience them. And so it's not just that, but it's also the
0: content side of it. Talk a little bit about that, the screens that you have at all of the NASCAR tracks, and we'll segue into minor league baseball on that, but content is king, isn't it?
1: Content is king, um, and it's both king in form uh, and in form factor. So one of the things that uh, we've learned, uh, and it's been very interesting talking to brands about it, is that the type of content that people want to see when they're at a live event is not a Super Bowl commercial. Um, There's a time and a place for that type of, you know, high quality, you know, expensive production content. But when people are at the actual event, a lot of what they uh, react well to is more of the social media style video. Um, One of the things we've also found is that shorter form content and more pieces of it works really well. So when a fan experiences the screens at a NASCAR event, Uh, or at minor league baseball, uh, or even at a trade show on our network, they're going to see um, about two thirds of it in the form of uh, fan engagement and programming. So we're giving them everything from schedules and announcements and ticket renewals, all that kind of standard stuff, to really engaging content. So for example, in NASCAR and minor league baseball, um, we have tons of pieces around the teams and the athletes. Um, some behind the scenes footage and interviews. Uh, as well as sponsored programming around everything from uh, you know, charitable opportunities to you know, other events going on um, you know, during the main event. Uh, and then only about a third of it is really advertising. And what we're finding is that most of our advertising is really drifting towards um, strong call to action, following a, uh, you know, a strong fan engagement piece that isn't necessarily just a commercial for the brand. Um, so, you know, a great example of that was some of the stuff that we ran in NASCAR at Daytona this year. Um, you know, we, we had brands that were running content really about, like, the NASCAR experience and some of the drivers and sponsored by a brand. Um, and what we found is that if you have a product that's pretty well known, um, you don't need to spend your 15 valuable seconds educating the consumer. You can just help them associate your product with something tangible in their life that they can easily relate to quickly and then provide them an action that they can take on behalf of your brand. Uh, And when we put those together in the right combination, uh, our conversion rates are not like anything that's seen anywhere else in uh, the digital at-home world. And so you have
0: some data. I know we talked about it before, and especially kind of fresh perspective because, as we know, the NASCAR race Kyle Busch won was last weekend as we taped this. So give us some ideas of of how how you validate all of this and what your
1: data says. Sure. Um, So one of the things about our data is that it's all based on what the cameras on our screens are seeing in real time. So we're not uh, capturing people's faces and looking them up out on the internet. What we are doing is using some algorithms to understand gender, age, dwell time, and most importantly, eye contact time uh, with the screens. Um, so in our, you know, in our general networks that go out again at minor league baseball, trade shows, NASCAR, we're running this same technology where we can give brands uh, an easy-to-digest report um, on about a 24 to 48-hour delay where they can understand who was in front of their screens, how long they spent with the content, and what other opportunities they had to see content um, in the time that they were there. So when I can go to a brand and say, listen, you ran, a, you ran a 30 second spot or a 15 second spot, and your average view time was you know around two seconds, then we can help them make some changes to their content. Um, but by having a quality call to action at the end, I can also say, you know, your view times were really good, but we didn't see the follow through that we wanted on your call to action to help fans onboard themselves into your brand. And we have some really good case studies around how to help them tweak that um, in a way that, you know, doesn't cost a ton of money, but is more effective for that audience. And obviously it evolves as you
0: deal with different clients, speaking of which, I know you made an announcement uh, a couple of months ago in getting ready for the opening of the minor league baseball season with a relationship from the top down at minor league baseball that's servicing 40
1: or more clubs. Talk about that a bit. Sure. Yeah, we're really excited about minor league baseball. Um, The stadiums are coming online uh, on a daily basis. Uh, We will have 25 online for first pitch, so around about April 2nd or 3rd. Um, And that is our first um, large-scale permanent deployment in a league. Um, So there are about 140-something minor league baseball teams, I believe, and we're going to be installed in over 70 over the next two and a half years. Um, so we're really excited about that. Um, having Allegiant um, as a core sponsor, along with um, some other uh, accounts, including Applegate, um, has really been a great start for us. Uh, the teams are latching on to it. Um, they're excited about it. Um, and we're pretty confident that the fans are going to enjoy this new type of engagement. Uh, because one of the things that we know about minor league baseball that's somewhat similar to NASCAR is that the percent of percentage of time spent on site in their seat Versus going to some of the other fan engagement opportunities um, is a great ratio. Um, So, you know, one of the numbers that we hear thrown around is about two and a half innings at a minor league baseball game, um, which means that you know we probably have five or six innings of time um, and opportunity to engage our engage with the new fans. Um, So we're really excited about it. Uh, We think that this is going to provide a high quality opportunity for uh, engaging the fans for brands, and uh, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing how it how first pitch goes. You know, you know what it sounds like to me as well.
0: Uh, we're with Jeff uh, Jeff Josephson, the managing director of ISM Connect, is that the content that you're describing and then getting reactions to and accountability from transcends different audiences. You've got the NASCAR audience whose demographics are somewhat compatible, but in many ways different than the minor league audience, and what you're doing it sounds like you're tailoring content solutions and technology solutions to, to each of
1: these clients, which sounds like it can be a significant advantage. It is, Rick. Um, you know, one of the things that we do, uh, you know, and I keep going back to data, is all of our decision-making is data-based. Um, you know, so a lot of times, even in today's world with some of the digital ticketing opportunities, we really don't know exactly who is there. Um, you know, teams know a lot based on who bought the tickets. But, you know, if I, Rick, if I go out as a, you know, 43-year-old male and buy four tickets, the team is counting me three, four times. Um, and what we're saying is we don't really care who bought the tickets we're going to tell you who engaged with the content Um, so we're seeing things like you know a 52 percent female audience in front of our screens um, almost every weekend for the last four weekends in nascar and you know as i walk around the track and you know as we learn about some of the ticket data that's not what is believed to be there but we almost don't care um, because that's what we're attracting to the content on our screens um, and what we're also finding is that, you know, the overlap is likely to be very significant uh, between minor league Baseball and NASCAR, but we're not gonna know until, you know, we get about a week a week into the season, and then we'll see. Um, you know, because one of the things that we do know is that different types of content attract different audiences. So we need to make sure that we're looking at our own data on a weekly basis to make sure that the content that we're providing, um, not just the branded content, but the, the programming, you know, hits that audience that we're seeing in front of the screens. So the uh, bottom line here, too, is
0: just give us a sense of why it's important for whether you're a corporation or a
1: team or a league to have access to this unique data. Um, because the shift has already started with brands and, you know, we're here to capitalize on that, that, you know, brands are now starting to make much smarter decisions um, because there is data around where they're gonna take their, their valuable dollars and spend them. And if teams and leagues want to attract those dollars, then we're already seeing them wanting to evolve uh, to find ways to, to get that data, to get it in the hands of themselves and their brands, do it in a timely fashion, but also most importantly, in a way that is easy to understand for now. Um, you know, One of the things that I am highly confident in is that a year or two from now, the data set that we're providing back is gonna look nothing like it does today. Um, You know, the demographic data that we provide with age and gender and dwell time and the eye contact is great. And you know, it's already putting us uh, in a class of our own. Um, But I am very sure that the world is gonna catch up to us on that. So we're working tirelessly to come up with new data sets that we can capture uh, and ways that we can drive value for brands. Um, And that's, you know, that's never gonna stop. And I think that's how we stay ahead. So that
0: you know that uh, great segue. You could host this uh, last question, which is all very relevant, and tied in. Where's this? Where's the industry evolving? And most important, where, where is ISM Connect five
1: years from now? Five years from now? Yes, sir. Um, well, the beauty of that question is is that I don't actually think I have to answer it because I don't know that anybody knows where we're all going to be five years from now in this type of space. Um, it's evolving so fast. But I am very confident that ISM Connect is going to be a leader in this space for the next n number of years to come um, because we've got such a good head start and because we have such a solid team here. Um, so, you know, I think we're going to be seeing even better technologies that provide, you know, a more engaging experience for that right targeted audience um, and making it so that each fan can have their own experience with it in a way that's relevant. Um, you know, right now we're, you know, we're helping brands hone in on, you know, the broader group that's there, but a lot of our efforts are around how do we then target the people that we see so that we're giving them what they want and what's relevant. Um, and it's not done in a, you know, sort of invasive way, but by using some logic and some market trends that we see, um, we're able to, you know, come up with ideas for ways to engage with these fans uh, that just aligns with the things that they're already doing. Incredibly interesting media perspective, Jeff Josephson, managing partner, ISM
0: Connect, Ricardo Speak with you soon. Well, Jeff Josephson has interesting perspective, and of course, part of the issue is how do you monetize all of this, and what does it look like in the future? Does one network apply to all of this? Do the Uh, ancillaries take advantage, people watching on screens at big stadiums, plus smaller TVs, plus the obvious iPhones, but people are watching. And that's the bottom line. And when you think about it, it's a money machine in a lot of different contexts. About $200 million poured into uh, college programs over a 10-year period between Nike, Under Armour, and Adidas. And $880 million in broadcast revenue is big, as we said. But the $200 million basically rounds it out, tickets and otherwise. And, of course, all you need to think of this year is the Zion Williamson shoe blowout example. And you realize this is all bigger than life. It's an activation issue as well with major brands coming in for two days or longer to Take advantage of what some people call a dead Sunday at Final Four, Saturday semis, Monday finals, and an industry trade show basically in the middle. But the biggest news this year, obviously, gambling. Last May, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the federal law that previously withheld legal sports books to Nevada. And according to Bloomberg, seven more states have now begun to allow betting, and a couple of dozen others are considering following suit. Nationwide, operators' gambling revenue could reach about $6.5 billion by 2023 and bettors in New Jersey, where legalization arrived last June, already wagering over $400 million every month. Tens of millions of Americans who otherwise rarely bet on sports will fill out a March Madness bracket and put down 10 to 20 bucks to enter a pool with friends or coworkers. And obviously it gets bigger and bigger every single year. This year, we don't have to talk about the illegal betting, although it's still prime. We've always talked about it before. Now we have a new perspective. And by the way, new revenues for the states. And here's the annual survey challenger gray and christmas the outplacement and executive coaching firm does this annual survey of lost productivity at the end of the first week and says every hour spent on games can cost employers 2.1 billion for a total of about 13.3 billion over the length of the tournament that will end with the ncaa national championship game on april 8 research done by staffing firm office team indicates that workers spend an average of 25 and a half minutes of their work day on march madness related activities and a survey by T. Sheets and QuickBooks shows at least 48 percent of people participating in March Madness won their brackets during work hours. However, the basketball tournament can foster a little excitement during among co-workers in streaming games during work hours, heading to a local restaurant to watch the games, filling out brackets or just discussing the games with co-workers will mean hours of distractions during a three week tournament. Added Andrew Challenger, the vice president of this firm, but he adds that employers should use the tournament games to build more morale, not restrict employees, and about 97 people watched March Madness last year, tens of millions of them during work hours. I say a happy worker is a productive worker. If you're listening, work, sneak the games, do whatever you want, watch them, and tell them I said so. Sports professor Rick Haro, speak with you next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score, assistance provided by Carlos Waddick, Tanner Simpkins, Reuters Digital. I'm Ricaro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.